Peanuts. Episode 130. The one where Jesus says, don't touch me. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo Resurrectees out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And I'm Mike Mahoney. And together we are the, the Theonauts! That's right, you heard correctly. We have another Theonite in yes. the studio, not really in the studio. In the virtual studio. In the virtual studio. Uh, yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is renowned author and... <laughs> Politician. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he holds a, a triple doctorate in theology. That's right. And, no. Soteriology. <laughs> he's, uh, no, he's just a Theo, Theo not like the rest of us. Yeah. Mike, Yo, Ma- Mike Mahoney. Recommendation like that, you guys could get me a job anywhere. Doing <laughs> yeah. just about anything. <laughs> we made it appear out of thin air. That's what we did. So, Mike, welcome yes. to the show. We're excited to have you, dude. Thank you very much. And like I said, I'm honored to be here. You guys' uh, faith and fire for God is uh, contagious. So, thank you. Awesome. So, let me kind of give a, a little background of, of where this is coming from. So we um, where Mike's coming from? Where Mike's coming from? He he's coming from Arkansas actually. But um, is we, it true what they say in Arkansas? I don't know what do they say. Are you married to your sister? <laughs> <laughs> you know, technically, from a theological Biblical standpoint, standpoint, yes. yes. But, but so praise the Lord for that. Yeah. yeah, I guess we are too. I yeah. can't do <laughs> Sorry, no offense to anybody listening in Arkansas, but you and know, do, does she have all her teeth? Yes. that's the, the other question. <laughs> All she's supposed to have, or uh, she wanted to have. That's good. <laughs> so <clears throat> we uh, we we just got back. Well, we didn't do Theonauts last week. That's right. I, we just didn't do it. Yeah, I'm going to put that on Jeremiah. But oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it on me. Go ahead, Dave. So anyway, uh, <laughs> but we we went to uh, we had an Easter retreat with our our church, mm-hmm. and we had asked Mike to come and present for us at the retreat. That's right. And so we were just so fired up about this whole idea of resurrection. We decided to, we did an episode on resurrection before. Yes. But this time we want to dive a little deeper, talk about some of the things, you know, that occurred right after resurrection and what it meant. Right. Um, from the aspect of, of who Jesus is. And, uh, and Mike had presented on this and just kind of knocked the ball out of park. So we were like, Hey, why don't you come do that again? Come do it again. That's right. So uh, we had to have him on because I don't know why we haven't had Mike on before. He's an awesome guy. I learned a lot from him during the Easter retreat and was thoroughly um, blessed by his speaking. So I'm excited that he's here and that he's going to share with us about the resurrection a little bit and help us give a little input and, yeah. and do that. So, so tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, Mike. <clears throat> Well, um, I don't know. I'm uh, a nobody, uh, but I suppose for my day job, um, some sort of uh, engineer. Um, but I love Jesus, and 
Um, so um, I don't know what you're asking for, and I, I'm terrible at bragging on myself. So, Well, the main uh, thing I wanted was awkwardness from you. That's yeah, well, you'll get that. <laughs> Stay tuned for a lot more of that. I love it. I love your preaching style, too. I'll listen, and I'll be like, all right. Oh, and then blows me away with a point, and then he just goes back into the shell a little bit. It's so great. It's awesome. So totally different from my style, which is so, like right at you. So Mike has also been very involved with us in our um, Haiti yes. work. Uh, how many times have you been to Haiti with me, Mike? I, I'm less than 10, but right at it. Eight or nine or 10, somewhere in there. Yeah. The listeners may remember that last time we actually talked about Mike, did we? Yes, because you talked about Junior challenging you with uh, oh yeah with learning the Haitian language yeah. Creole mm-hmm. and uh, and and Mike has been like going gangbusters yeah so he went in there and he was like having conversations with <laughs> with the people in in Creole and you're just totally embarrassed by it <laughs> he showed you up yeah which is good I need that yeah it is it drives you. <laughs> Nothing, for our listeners out there, nothing drives David more than competition. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> he will compete and compete and compete. It's so funny. Uh, well. Anyway, so thanks, Mike. Now he's learning Creole at like a breakneck speed, right? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, Megan and Case have, uh, we've all uh, dedicated ourselves or agreed to as a family to do to go through that uh, Pimser course, so. Uh, it's really cool to hear my son. He's eight years mm. old speaking Creole. Ah, ah. see Jay Z. Yeah. Tell him a buen. Yeah. I got one. Yeah. He's got one. So I asked him if he wanted a drink. Oh, I just tell him a buen guy. Do you want something to drink? Listen, we are not Pentecostals. <laughs> Let me stop that right now. <laughs> At least it's a known language. <laughs> Anyways. Messy. Get off my high horse. Okay, so hey, we're just going to go ahead and jump into this whole thing. Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. So Easter. Jesus. <laughs> rising from the dead and all that. What do you got for us, Mike? Go. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, so I'm just blown away by, you know, the resurrection. You guys have talked about it before. It's on all of our minds from Easter. And just the idea of this new life in Jesus is an amazing concept just all together. I mean, that's the whole ball game, right? Amen. This, yeah. this, new, this new spirit that he promised long ago that we now have, right? It's that, the gospel, man. Yeah. Amen. So, we now are alive to our God, all because of Jesus being the forerunner, doing it first. And so, um, I guess that whole, you know, theme has sparked some study on my part. And then when David asked me to speak, I knew exactly what, um, that I wanted to share that because it's just, it's one of these topics that are just amazing. It's fun to preach and all these little nuggets that God has left for us to well, the- deepen our faith and, and, you know, blow our minds is just is really cool That's yeah kind of we'll bring out some of those tonight one one of the things that i've always liked about um about this type of thing whenever you go into studies especially whenever you find something that is intriguing in scripture that's weird 
Like it doesn't really register with you exactly. And we'll get to some of these, like the, hey, don't touch me thing. Right. And, and, uh, and a couple of other things that we'll talk about. But the thing that I, I like, I like that you were kind of referring to them as nuggets because it's, it is like panning for gold or something like that. You know, it's, it's like, I do believe that, that God rewards the diligent student. And this is some of the ways that that, that happens. And one of the things that, that you hear in our opening, yeah, you know, statement is say, is yeah, is theme this verse. is this whole uh, was it Proverbs twenty five and two, where it's the it's the the glory it's the of glory God. of God to conceal these things, and it's the honor of us as kings to search out to search them out That's and right. find them. And so, anyway. That, so you were panning for gold about the Amen. resurrection. In these unsearchable riches of the glory of God, no yeah. less. Yes. Um, and so here we are. And I think uh, John 20 probably is the most concise place. And it actually has most of these little nuggets in them. Yeah. Uh, but it speaks of resurrection morning, right? So um, just to paraphrase what has gone on is um, we all know that it's early Sunday morning. Mary... And the women are going to go um, essentially um, dress Jesus' body with the perfumes and whatnot that they hadn't been able to do from uh, it being Sabbath and so forth. Right. Um, different, different. Uh, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention the resurrection. And some of them say, right, the earthquake happened and the stone was rolled away. Well, John just jumps in and, and they come to the tomb and it's and it's the stone's rolled away. And... Uh, so she goes back and she gets some of the other disciples and they come and run and and they peek down in and, and some of the different um, uh, gospels they say, you know, like, why are you seeking for him here? He's risen. And, right. Um, well, anyhow, um, down in here, um, verse, I'm in the NLT here, but like verse uh, five or six, Peter and, and stoops in. And sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter, when he arrived, he goes inside, and he also noted the linen wrappings lying there. Mm-hmm. All the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings. And so, um, you know, kind of one of those, like David said, these weird things that he's being so detailed to tell us what's going on. And to, to the, you know, when you just read through it, you're like, okay, it's... You know, thanks for the information. But exactly. What do you it. do? With I get that? it. He's not there. <laughs> it's like yeah. that was free. <laughs> do we need to know? You know that minute of detail. Yeah. Correct. And it's and very so um, verse seven. While the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up, lying uh, apart from the other wrappings. Right. There's another one, and then it goes um, goes on, and, and then uh, the John, I guess, comes finally. The the other disciple would reach the tomb and. Well, they can't find him, obviously, because the angel told him he's not here. Well, right. Mary, she sticks around, and she's outside crying. She's Why weeping. Why is she crying? And she looked voice. in, and now she sees a different scene. This is down in verse you know, 11, 12-ish. Um, and she sees two angels in white, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot of this you know, gravestone, this place, that, um, this flat area Jesus had been laid. And they're like, Why, well, why are you crying? Well, because they've taken my Lord, and just tell me where he's at, and I'll go get him. Like, it's no big deal. I just want to know where he's at. Well, um, she turns and comes out of the, of the tomb, and down around verse 16. Um, 15 or so, oh, yeah. um, 
Jesus ends up talking to her and asking, well, who are you looking for? And verse 15 says, she thought, she supposing him to be a gardener, said, sir, just where have you taken him? Right? Her quest is to find Jesus so she can give him the honorable, honorable burial that she thinks he needs. Um, and to take him and, and give his body a proper burial. Um, not that it wasn't already proper, but they had gone there to dress him. And, and, and you know, I mean, they were, they were disciples. They wanted, they loved him very much. So they're just trying to find him to put him at peace, sure. at rest. Well, she's supposing him to be a gardener. Um, you know, where have you put him? And he instantly says, you know, Mary. And all these... <laughs> Mary. <laughs> right? Like the mask or however you want to say it is just <laughs> sh- dropped. And she sh- knows exactly yeah. it's Jesus. And she says, Rabbi, that is to say, master or teacher. And then <clears throat> one of those interesting verses, verse 17, touch me not or don't touch me. Other translations say, don't cling to me. But he says exactly why. For I've not yet ascended to my father, but go and, and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. And uh, so Mary goes and tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord and a couple different versions in the, you know. Anyway, so there's other things that go on. After they see him, right, he appears uh, to them and eat with them and appears to the couple on road to Emmaus and so on. But, but specifically speaking, in just in this text that we've kind of outlined, and we've read a couple verses, but mostly paraphrased, um, there's about three or four um, amazing nuggets in here that, yeah. um, they will, that, are, that will become obvious to people if they're not already. Um, when we go back and look at some of the Old Testament items, um, and, and dig a little bit. And, and so where I found these is, <clears throat> is in the concept of Jesus being our high priest, okay. right? We have, we have these obscure verses um, and passages, long passages in Hebrews, yeah. right? Right. Right. right? And, and so we all get it. Yeah, Jesus is our high priest, but what, what does that actually mean? Um, so in other words, none of us would dispute that Jesus is our high priest. Right. But at the same time, I never even took a, a really second how, look at what that meant. And yeah, so, how is it exercised? How is it put into actual play? <clears throat> exactly. In other words, why does he carry the title of high priest? What did he do that put him in that role? Or what did he do to carry out that you know, was in the theme of a high priest? And so that was kind of the things, and they tie in exactly with what, this uh, passage here and on Resurrection Morning from John 20 and other, other places. So um, I guess if we were to um, just real quickly maybe uh, discuss what, a, what the high priest, if we went back to the Old Testament yeah. and just pick, picked a few things maybe that, and bring them forward that'll really tie into our conversation here this evening. Cool. And um, so um, a high priest, right? What, what did he do? I'll ask you guys. What was his... General, generally speaking, what did he do? Well, the high priest, his number one duty was to uh, do the uh, the atonement once a year, right? Mm-hmm. So they would <clears throat> sacrifice a lamb, and he would carry. He was the one that carried the the blood sacrifice into the holy of holies and sprinkled it at the mercy seat on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel for the year. Yep, he had to be consecrated. Yep. Um, Prior to this ceremony, 
had to uh, had to go through the ritual there in what was it Leviticus eight? Yeah, where you spend seven days, eight days, or whatever in the tabernacle, putting blood on your ear and there are all kinds of weird things. Yeah, your <laughs> thumb and weird places. Totally. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So that okay. So his job, yeah. yeah, is to intercede for the people. Yeah, his his main position was the you know over between as a mediator between God and God's people. And while other people kind of fell into this role, maybe Moses at first, obviously, but Moses wasn't a high priest. Aaron was. Aaron was the first, yeah. Right. So so, um, but as that, especially when the Levitical uh, law came into effect and Levitical priesthood was established, they were. There was no more Moses. There's no more Joshua. They were the go-between, right? Mm-hmm. right. And um, now we could argue then also that other people, like prophets down through time, kind of fell into that role as a mediation, right, between God and his people. But they were the main one. And like you guys said very uh, succinctly, that one of his main tasks, the most notable tasks, is the Day of Atonement and making atonement so that they could maintain this relationship, this fellowship with God, um, and basically um, memorialize their sins for the year and go through the process that God had set in place. Yeah, because like... Let, let he, them be like in a, his fellowship. A prophet, I mean, it's all well and good to hear what God wants from you. Mm-hmm. And so as a role of a prophet, that's an, you're an He's intermediary like that. Yeah, but but that does nothing for your situation. Right. It doesn't fix your problem. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, you guys have pretty well hit that. And that's probably all we need for our conversation. There's a whole lot else. You know, you guys covered Melchizedek and some... There's all these striations you can follow and dig deeper. Um, but for our conversation, that, that probably does, does pretty well in covering just generically what a high priest did or, or does. There's a couple verses um, that um, maybe give us a little insight. But um, so three things I want to point out. Um, one is, you guys have already said it, to make atonement for sins. And, and you were rightly saying um, there's all kinds of verses about this uh, where he takes the offering, he sprinkles it on just about everything. The, <laughs> yeah. the the altar itself. Then he comes in and does you know the the um, instruments inside the altar, mm-hmm. not not like a guitar instrument, but like the menorah, the showbread the, table of showbread. Show, yep, the and, altar of incense. Yep, and then the main application, obviously, is like Jeremiah said, the putting it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, right, is this. Um, um, box, box mm-hmm. right, with two cherubim. We don't know what it looks like. There's a lot of people who have some... Now, wait a minute, I saw Raiders of the Lost Exactly, Star. it's what? right on Raiders and of the Lost Ark. Go check yeah. it out. <laughs> and I've been to uh, Eureka Springs. I've seen it. Oh, yeah. Hey, I've yeah. been there, too. I have, too. That's a great place. <laughs> You've been to the Holy Land tour? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really neat. Uh, yeah, there's like nothing like Arkansas Sawyers <laughs> wearing their robes. We gonna show you how Jesus did it over there <laughs> in the old land. <laughs> Don <Donning laughs> some robes and... and this Put on the shofar. This here, this here is mercy seat. <laughs> That's Saint Jesus. That's Saint God said on Judge people. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Hey Jesus, can I have a dip? Yeah. <laughs> 
can't do that in the holy holies. <laughs> <laughs> he had to yeah. spit his chow out before he went in there. <laughs> oh I'm, I'm so you got me rolling. That's good. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, so, so where um, where was I? Ask, where yeah. was I? Let me ask this question: When you think of the high priest, what um and, and when he what he looks like? What is he wearing? What is what is a typical? What is thought of when you think of the high priest? What's he what's he wearing? So I was thinking the ephod, yeah, right, breastplate, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's got this crazy. It's not crazy because God put it into place, but unum and thumum. It's not something. Yeah, yeah unum and thumum. How, how are you? Thermum, right, he's got. Yeah. He's got the in uh, aluminum. The twelve stones yes. on his chest. He's got this nice blue or or, or um, uh, colored um, ephod. I think no, it's not the ephod. It's the thing underneath it, like a robe. Yeah, and then he's got the the kind of a almost a. Uh, what do you call the thing like if you're turban, painting? The big you know, fancy blue turban. You don't want to get something on yourself. Like Bob Ross. Yeah, Bob Ross. There you go. <laughs> so, like, it's this crazy get up. <laughs> That's and, what I think uh, of when I think of the high priest. All right. I think of Bob Ross. All right. Yeah, it's a crazy get up. Okay. He has an apron, right? An apron. There you go. I couldn't think of it. Yeah. It's one of those <laughs> words that I get. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. So he's right. You think of all that, but what's cool is um, Leviticus sixteen four. Uh, actually, a really good chapter. The entire chapter in its entirety speaks of this day. But verse four says, you know, he's supposed to take off his his normal garments, but on this day he shall put on the holy linen coat that I have, uh, uh, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear a linen turban. Mm. These yeah. are the holy garments. Uh, he shall bathe his body in water and, put, and then put them on. So, in other words, he's not wearing this ephod and all these nice um, colors and all these stones on him and his apron and all this stuff. He's not wearing that. He's wearing a white linen robe, a white turban, and a white linen belt. Mm. Like, that's it. And wow. these are what's called his holy garments. So, when he went into the atone on the Day of Atonement, he's not wearing what we referred to, what I referred to as the crazy get up. He's wearing these holy garments, which is just a white robe, white belt, and a white turban. So it's, it's just interesting, in. right? It's, it's kind of incidental to us today. Mm-hmm. So um, to the Mormons. <laughs> I thought about that too. Did you? Got them holy garments. They got them. Mm-hmm. They got the okay. So, but if we take that nugget forward, we'll 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 tie up a loose end here in a minute. But okay. Um, and the other thing that you guys, David, you started down this path of him going through this process, this ritual process of cleansing. Mm-hmm. It was it was a long ordeal and very detailed. And but more importantly, he wasn't after he did that. He couldn't become defiled. Correct. Now, there's many things in the Old Testament that would defile you. Touching something dead uh, would would do it every time. But um, there's a lot of different ways. But touching something unclean in general will make the holy defiled, right? Yes, that's why um, Nadab and Abihu died, is because they, it, they brought something outside the unconsecrated. Right. Unconsecrated, right, in, exactly. In, into the holy place. Strange fire. Strange fire. So Leviticus 21 and 23 says, and among other places, but this says specifically, this high priest shall not go through the veil or approach the altar if he has a blemish or if, that he may not profane my sanctuaries for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Mm-hmm. So 
So a couple things, if we were to take these three things, right, he was to offer this atonement for the sins. Um, and on this specific day, he didn't wear the, 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 all the get-up that we normally think of. He's wearing white, um, kind of simple garments, and he wasn't supposed to be defiled. Now those come back um, because if we um, go ahead and tie, you want me to go ahead and tie these yeah. sins together? Yeah, let's sure. do this. So um, if we go back and... and uh, well, are you going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant a little bit and the fact that it's mimicked in heaven? Uh, uh, sure, let's or do that. Or are you going to tie it? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to steal your thunder. So go ahead. Go where you were going. Um, okay, let's do this. Let me start a verse and you guys finish it. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not many so, monies. I would have told you. Yes. But I go to prepare a place for you. Right? John yes. 14 and 2. Yes. And, and it goes on to verse 3. And if I don't go and, and so on. But right. um, so I raised the question. Um, you know, he says, In my father's house are many mansions. Now, Mansions can also be translated as rooms, but let's just consider it a dwelling place, a place to stay, mm-hmm. okay? Whether it's this uh, a, a mansion, I don't care. I'd settle for, you know, a space out under a lean-to. Yeah. I'm, I'm good, as long as I'm there. In my father's house are many places to stay. If it were not so, I would have told you. But then he says this obscure statement, but I go to prepare a place for you. Mm. Now, that seems to me... A little um, disconnected, right? Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, it's like, already there. Is it's already there? Why? What are you gonna do? What, what, what you, preparations need to be yeah. made if they're already built? If they're already there, right? And so this, I think, fits in perfectly with uh, the the idea of a high priest and this consecration process hmm. and making making a, atonement. So, um, pretty neat stuff, right? We know the. The tabernacle, especially, was the first one, and then later the temple by mm-hmm. Solomon, and carried on others through different, you know, being destroyed and and whatnot. But we know kind of the basic makeup of it. Um, but what's really neat is that Moses was told um, to make everything you see after the pattern that you were shown in heaven. You remember when he took him up on Sinai and he yes. spent this, you know, time with them and. Um, Basically, there's verses like this one. Numbers um, 8 and 4 is one of them. Um, and this is the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered from gold, from its base and flowers and so forth, according to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. And it's like this theme continues. Um, Hebrews 8 and 5, uh, talking about um, the thing, things here on earth, uh, kind of what we're talking about, these these, these uh, ideas of that would fit into the tabernacle. He says, mm-hmm. these serve as, as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Hebrews 8 and 5. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God saying, God said this to Moses, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you in the mountain. So in other words, and the point I'm trying to make, I'll, I'll quit trying to labor this, but picture this. Um, picture there's uh, something in heaven that uh, that would mimic uh, or that Moses would had mimicked his tabernacle after. In other words, there's a heavenly temple or tabernacle or something, mm-hmm. and and Moses was told make it like this. Yes. Here's the pa- here's the pattern. Make it like this. And so, 
In other words, what Moses made wasn't the original. He made a copy of the original, and the original is in heaven. Okay? Yeah. And that's a concept I, I, I just try to I offer up, and I'll probably leave it there for, for now for sake of argument. But, um, and it's interesting. There's a lot of verses, especially like Revelations, talks about the temple of God and, and other places, um, references. And see, we'll talk yeah. about some, especially in Hebrews. Yeah. If anybody's familiar with Hebrews, we'll get there in just a second. So the idea then, you know, I've kind of opened up some loose, uh, you know, untangled some things and we've got the resurrection morning. We've, we've left it there. We've gone back and got the high priest and we've kind of left it. Now we're talking about Jesus preparing something and a place. And it's like, why was there, what was needed? What preparation was there? And so the reason I introduced this tabernacle and this idea of a heavenly tabernacle or, or temple, whatever you want to call it, is because... Um, of this point right here. Hebrews 9, 22 through 24. And I'll just read this. Uh, I think this is the ESV. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We, we quote that verse yep. a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, see if you can follow me here, especially with what I was talking about of the copies and the original. Okay, Thus it was necessary, verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. So the heavenly things needed to be purified with blood too. Mm. But he goes on to say, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Bulls and goats wasn't going to cut it. Lambs weren't going to cut it. Verse 24, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And what did he do when he got there? Well, he applied the blood. Mm. Okay. And so um, you're like, okay, if there's a, you know, he didn't do the, he didn't apply the blood here into the earthly tabernacles, but he says, but those are copies of the heavenly things, but he took it into heaven itself with better sacrifices than, than these. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and praise God, he did this, right? And mm-hmm. other places he talks about by means of his own blood, he secured eternal redemption for us. And um, so... What's interesting, and, and a question I really don't even know the answer to, is here in verse 23, and I think if you asked you know, 10 scholars, uh, uh, theological scholars, you'd probably get 10 different answers. That's but true. verse 23 poses a really interesting point. If you dig and ask a question out of it, it says, it says it was necessary that the heavenly things were purified. Yep. And you're like, why in the world would With heavenly heaven. things need to be purified at all? Right. And I don't know the answer. I have an idea. I have an opinion. And I'll share that with you. But I'd be interested to know what you guys' opinions were. <laughs> well, I, I think that um, just because I've sniffed where you're going, <laughs> I think it's a pretty dead-on um, uh, assertion. Because um, this whole passage in Hebrews is talking about Jesus's priestly application. Right. Yes. I mean, that's what the whole point of it is. The whole point of, of, of what everything in Hebrews that led up to this was, hey, 
you've got these insufficient things that you guys hold sacred. That's right. But um, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's right. greater than the priests. He's right. greater than everything else. And so, yeah, when when it comes to the priest part, the writer of Hebrews uh, is saying, you you have your your copies, mm-hmm. but Jesus did the real thing. Yeah, he's yeah. the real guy. And so that's I think that's the point there. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, anyways. and I'm reading the NLT here. It says, but the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. And Correct. So, so. Yeah, and, and so I think you guys have hit the nail on the head. And just to make that assertion clear to our listeners, I, I think um, what I'm suggesting is that heaven didn't need to be clean for heaven's sake but heaven needed to be purified to receive, um, uh, you know, this final and full atonement for sin so that it could receive people who were not, uh, you know, pure. Yes. It's, well, it's the same thing as the copy, right? The, the, the tabernacle, the temple itself, had been cleansed already. It exactly. was holy. It went through a, a consecration prior right. to the Day of Atonement. Well, it was the very place where God... So dwelled. yeah, everything. And so it was holy and perfect, and every instrument in the holy place had been cleansed. The coals in the altar had been cleansed. Exactly. Everything in there had been cleansed. So the place is clean. Yeah. The blood that comes into the tabernacle is not to clean the place, but to cleanse those. Who are being in. atoned for? That's right. Exactly. It's it's exactly. it's almost to show God that they have been atoned for. Right. The the sacrifice. <clears throat> in other words, the penalty of sin has been paid. Right. The sacrifice has been made, and this Correct. is the blood of it. Yep. You guys said it well. So let's see if we can tie up some of these loose ends. Okay. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning uh, of our of our discussion tonight. Back in the garden, and I want to ask the question. Um. And you guys have heard this already, so you might could play dumb for me. Definitely. Uh, bo- <laughs> bo- it's not a problem. Play? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's throw out, let's postulate why Mary, we're going back to the garden, and Mary didn't recognize it was Jesus, all right? But she thought it to be a gardener. Right. Now, let's, let's stay away from that nugget just for now, but why, give me some circumstance or some emotions. What, why wouldn't she recognize Jesus, throw out possible ideas. So I honestly have never really figured that out. Um, either Jesus didn't want her to recognize him, which could have been one. Like he was hiding it from her. He was hiding it from her for some odd reason. And yep. here's here's one I've thought about, that Jesus' resurrected body still had all the scars from the crucifixion, which would have made him very disfigured. Sure. So he's a messed up, disfigured lamb. <laughs> Well, Revelation speaks to that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and talks about that. Um, I could see that. I, also, Mary was a very in a very emotional state to where she didn't recognize twice angels talking to her. Right. <clears throat> Which what? I don't. I still don't get. And she's still bawling her eyes out after they've told her twice, Mary, he's risen. Yeah. So sure. that doesn't well, make sense I think, to me. Never... You know, a lot of times we think of angels and we think they're going to be in white and have wings. But we know from different stories, Bible stories, and, and down through time that they just appeared as Normal general people. messengers and right. general, you know, wearing the garb of the time and That's fit in true. with other people. So I'm with you, though. And you're like, how is this not all fit together? And, I, and I'm also with you 
you know, if I lost my wife or somebody I loved, um, I'm going to be crying and I'm not going to be cognizant of what's going on uh, very well. Right. But that all that aside, she says she thought him to be a gardener, right? Mm-hmm. And this is down in verse, uh, I think, 17 or so. No, 15, right? She thought him to be a gardener. And so I pose the question, well, wh- why didn't she confuse him with a Roman soldier? Yeah. Why didn't she confuse him for a woman? Obviously, he wasn't dressed like either one of those people. Exactly. So she caught something, and um, she knew enough about what he looked like that she ruled out these other things and supposed him to be a gardener. So that caused me to dig in, and it was like, okay, what is was the traditional, what would a gardener be wearing? Why would she think it's a gardener versus, you know, um, I don't know, a, a mason or a carpenter? And But she thought him to be a gardener. Now, obviously, they're in a garden, so there's other things that factor in here. But what I did is I went back and I tried to dig and look and see what was a typical uh, outfit or of this time period that a gardener would be wearing. And so here's an amazing thing that what I found is that they would be wearing a light-colored, if not white, it would be off-white, but a light-colored robe, linen robe, a light-colored turban or head covering, and a light-colored linen belt to tie it all together. Um, which, if hmm. we go and we top, bring in some of those things we've left undone from our talk this evening, you have exactly what the high priest would have been wearing on the Day of Atonement. His priestly garments would have matched exactly what a gardener would have been wearing. Yes. And dun, dun, dun! <laughs> Pretty and cool. so... Yeah, and something I didn't even get to into in our in our talk there in uh, in the woods was <laughs> where did he get where did these magically appear from? You know, yeah. like he, he wasn't naked. She, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? And his actual linens were and his linens are in the still in the grave, it, right? Yes. Right. And so here, in my opinion, and, and what I'm suggesting to our listeners is that these were the heavenly priestly garments his white linen robe, his white turban, and his white linen belt that he would have been wearing, that is exactly what God ordered the um, Levites and, and the priest, the high priest, to wear on this specific day, the Day of Atonement. Huh. Wow. That's pretty yeah. amazing when you think about it. It it sounds like it ties together. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clever. Wow. Okay. So then um, the next thing, just a few verses down in verse 17, he says... You know, don't touch me. Touch me not. And so I've heard a lot of people give answers. And I know you guys are probably like this. When people give, you hear things, uh, maybe <laughs> somebody's speaking or you read somebody and you're like, eh, like I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, it doesn't really click for me there. And so everything I've heard of people saying, you know, don't touch me, you know, like you can't cling to me you know, you need to go and, and be strong on your own or something, you know, weird things. And you're like, I don't, I hear you, but I don't buy it. Right. There's, and, a, you know, there's a couple that I've heard. Uh, and something that's really interesting is why she, he says this to Mary, but then turns around and says to Thomas, just a few days later to Thomas, he orders him, touch me right, and put, Handle put your me. hand in my side. Exactly. And, and, you know, and so, yeah, you're exactly right. So here on this day, don't touch me. And just a few days later, 
Thomas, I demand, you know, touch me. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, touch my scars, touch my hands, touch my side. And it's really neat to have, I don't know how far he put his hand in there, but it had been really close to his heart. <laughs> and that's just amazing thought. Wow. Uh, touching the, the heart of God or near there. Mm. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> <clears throat> that's good. So, why did he say, don't touch me? Well, he goes on to say it very specifically. Why? I don't want you to touch me. Verse 17. Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go and tell my brothers, or the disciples, and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. So he says, she said, he says to her, don't touch me because I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I'm ascending to the Father. And moreover, go tell Peter and James and John, go tell them that's what I'm doing. Okay, so what do we, can we get from this? Well, we brought in from the Old Testament that the high priest could not be defiled on this day. Okay, right, right. And if she, not being consecrated or clean, would have touched him, he would have ran the risk of being defiled. So he says, don't touch me, because I'm going, in my opinion, and what I'm suggesting to you guys in our audience this evening, is he's going to make this great atonement. And he, you know, so don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Which is why a few days later he can say... Touch me. Yeah, because he's a done deal at that well, point. Well, not even a few days later, but that evening, I mean, he hangs out in East with the disciples. Sure, so It's sure. really yeah, interesting. No doubt, we don't get that from the Scripture, but no doubt they would have been right. on at his feet and whatever. Yeah, so it's we, really, don't get, we don't get the same sentiments. You're right. Right. It's really interesting to me that he says, I'm ascending to my father, and then he shows up there that night. So it had to have been between that time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, and... You know, we often, when we read this passage, we think about the final ascension that happened, you know, from the Mount of Olives. 40 days later. Yeah, yeah, 40 days 40 later. 40 days later. But there is nothing to say that, that, that he had not already, where exactly was Jesus in these time periods when he was gone? And in fact... Because there's all these missing time right. issues. You, you couldn't correlate that with the 40 days because of Thomas, honestly. Correct. When you think about I, that. I agree. Because he says to Mary, don't touch me because I'm ascending. He gives the reason because I'm ascending. Um, So if that's 40 days later, then why didn't he say the same thing to Thomas? Right, right. Well, that's true. And then at the same time, he the the statement here in this verse says, tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. Like, it's imminent. Like, this is happening right now. It's not happening in 40 days. I tell them that this is what's happening. It's present. Yeah, and so now keep take all that and put it with a verse like Hebrews 9, uh, verses 11 through 12. Let me read these to you. But when Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, you know, not of this creation. Mm-hmm. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, mm-hmm. right? And if you stick that right in where we're, where we're at in our story, I mean, it makes all these things and purely, you know, largely speculative, 
uh, on some of the things I've suggested, mm-hmm. but it, f- it fits and it makes a powerful, powerful impact to that resurrection morning of what actually would have possibly yeah. had, so w- has, had taken place. So it wasn't just the fact that he came out of the grave and appeared yeah. in front of people, but, it, but that he took that sacrifice with him all the way up to the heavenlies. There's some absolutely important spiritual implications of this whole thing, and one of them being it's finished. Like, (laughs) this was the sacrifice placed on the Holy of Holies to finish all sacrifices. Mm -hmm. It's done. And he was the high priest who brought it directly to the Holy of Holies in his holy garments and sprinkled that at the mercy seat. Well, I know... You know, you and I were talking a little bit before the show, before we called Mike and everything, um, and we were talking about this th- this idea, and you had brought up, you know, wasn't Jesus taking a big risk by showing up at all in front of people if just touching him right. <laughs> could really mess up the whole thing? I throw a kink in the <laughs> a wrench in the whole system. But you know, I think that it kind of adds a little more clarity to the story too. There's nothing that gives the proximity of Mary and Jesus here. That's true. Like, part of the reason why she may have just thought he was the gardener was because he was 20 yards away, 50 yards away, you know, not necessarily right there at her. And he would have been able to easily say from a distance, hey, don't get too close because I'm not finished yet. And part of me wonders about the humanity of Jesus. So this is just spitballing. Looking at looking at Mary mm-hmm. and loving her enough to go, you know what? I'm gonna I'm just gonna give her some encouragement here because she's bawling her eyes out. She's yeah. seen two angels and she still sing, thinks the same thing. Hey, Mary, <laughs> I'm right here. I'm, right. I'm alive, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting. When you mm-hmm. think about that. And then to 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 uh, further strengthen the disciples' resolve, sending Mary back as an eyewitness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they'll go tell him, and then, then he shows yeah. up. Yeah, it also shows you a, an interesting thing about how Jesus perceived women in general and, and women's roles yeah. in all of this. It's like, why does he show up to women first? Why? I mean, it's, it's just, there's, this is a big deal, right? right. The first people to see Jesus, to see Jesus and, to, and to deal right. with this are, are the women. He entrusted that, the message that he gives her right here. To women, so which goes against all norms of that society. Yeah, it, it does. But it's just like God. It's just like Jesus to to do that, right? He did that with his own apostles, yeah. who were mm-hmm. um, fishermen, essentially, <laughs> you know, turned down by all the other, uh, you know, rabbis around. Mm-hmm. Yes. Here comes Jesus picking up the dejected. But what he saw in them was greater than all the others that had been accepted That's right. by other people. And I think he, he's just like that. But then also on top of that, to the comforting side, uh, the compassionate side of God. And so all that, I think, you know, is, you know, uh, plays in. So, um, all right. You got one, one, you want one more, one more nugget, I think? Yeah. Uh, bring, keep going. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so at the tomb, and if we back up just a little bit in, in verse uh, 12 of John 20, um, I think this is when Peter maybe ducks down or it might be Mary. Uh, Mary. Mary, verse 11, Mary is standing outside the tomb and she wept and she stood and stooped and looked in and she saw two white robed angels, mm-hmm. one sitting at the head 
mm-hmm. and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. <laughs> and then, then they start a conversation with him. Now, let me, just, let me just paint a picture and ask a question. Or maybe I'll just ask a question. What do you know in your biblical realm that looks like a flat surface with an angel on either side? <laughs> and, and I'll suggest to you, and we can hash that out in a minute, but, and bloody grave linens sitting in the middle, blood in the middle. Right. So an angel on either side, blood in the middle. What does that paint a picture of? I think we should call Indiana Jones. <laughs> we should call Indiana Jones for the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> That's great. Right? Right. Yeah. And because what more perfectly paints this picture? And um, um, so if we, if we back up and, and catch, catch that. So Jesus died, you know, hanging up, and he no less uh, lost most of his flesh off his back and legs mm. and so forth. Yeah. And, you know, he'd been dead for a few, few not very long. Uh, and they take him down, and they then they wrap him in these linens and lie him in the in the grave. And best I can tell, I'm no medical doctor or even close. Um, but every report I've read on this, and I've asked other you know professionals that if you lay somebody down like Jesus would have been, would blood be in those linens? And no doubt, the answer is yes. Um, I've had people that were had no knowledge, medically speaking, argue this point with me, but it was be like arguing with... They were arguing that there's no that there should be no blood on these linens? Be, because Jesus was white as snow, right? <laughs> and, and so, but anyway, oh, it doesn't wow. even matter. Let them That's believe what they so will. super liberal, but, or literal, <laughs> not liberal, literal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, if you have that, right, now you got the Ark of the Covenant pictured because... And I'm not saying this is the Ark of the Covenant, but look at the picture she's, he's giving Mary. Moreover, you know, to go on with what you're saying, the human side of, of God trying to throw all these nuggets at, at his disciples and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, like, just bear with me for a minute. I got to go take care of some business. You know, let me give you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant while I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That um, makes sense. That's hilarious. So, um, okay, I got one more, one more thing, I think. Well, um, hang on, hang on that, a second. I got, I got yeah, one more go image that jumped into my head along those lines. <clears throat> it is called the mercy seat, the, mm. the, the top of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, right? The lid. Yes. Um, and that's where the blood was. And I have seen, I read a book by a guy by the name of, of Bob Cornuke, and he postulated at one point in the book... Um, about what we what we normally think of when we see the Ark of the Covenant, and then perhaps uh, what it could actually be. So, why this term "mercy seat"? Like, why is it referred to as a seat when we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark and we see these two angels bowing down, like with their wings, wings touching, touching yeah. and which is exactly what the Bible says, by the way. But um, that's not the only posture the angels could be in and have their ang- and have their wings touching and, and that sort of thing. Right. The mm-hmm. cherubim. So um, whenever, what his postulation was is that um, one of the wings of each of the angels was covering the mercy seat. So in other words, laid out flat upon the seat while the other wing was reaching up and touching the other 
wing of the opposing angel. Basically, the angels formed a chair-like shape on the top of this covering. Right. And wow. the and the point being, it's a throne. It's where God sat whenever he would come into the very presence of his people. Like the Shekinah glory is there at the mercy seat. In the between, it specifically says, in between the angels. Um, and so the whole point there being is that this is a throne of sorts. This is God's throne upon the earth. And so think about this. Wow. When you first, when you're laying down on your back, like Jesus would have been in the, on, in the grave, what's the first thing you do? Swing your legs over and set up. Sit. Wow. So at that point, would Jesus not be the king sitting on a throne, throne. on the mercy seat on the throne? So uh, that was just a an idea, but I thought it was kind of cool. Mm. <clears throat> that is very neat. I hadn't heard that, but that makes the whole thing. Um, I don't. It deepens it, right? Mm-hmm. A, it is a, a it takes the model another step. Yeah, very cool. I like that. Okay. Let's talk about this obscure face covering, this face napkin that's folded in a place by itself yeah. real quick. And um, I think I'll be about out of ammunition. <laughs> um, so verse John 20, verse 7. Um, and if you back up to 6, Peter went inside. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there. In verse 7, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' um, face, the napkin that was about his head, was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, again, one of these things that seems obscure. Um, but after looking into it, it is mind-blowing. It's really cool what, um, what there's it's actually implying. symbolism, and it's actually speaking without words. This, this idea of this fa- folded face napkin. Now, some of you out there probably have heard this already, but for those who hadn't, this was a, a Hebrew tradition of the day. You can Google it your, yourself silly and find all sorts of cool things about it, but I'll, I'll just kind of be brief in a description of what it would have been. So picture like a, a, a master-servant type of relationship, and in, in, in those days, right, um, there wasn't a lot of conversation going on between the two. Right. In other words, it wasn't like, come here and tell me about your day. There wasn't, there wasn't <laughs> a lot of interaction. So right. a, a way for them to communicate to one another would have been that if the, if the master of the house was you know, eating a meal, let's say they're eating a meal and all there's guests or, or maybe not, uh, doesn't matter. And so the master gets up. Um, let's say he needs to go to the bathroom or something um, or take care of some other business uh, of the household or something. He, he, he might wipe himself, his face with this napkin, and he would, uh, if, he, if he would fold it and put it by his uh, plate, the servant would know to hold on, wait, the guy's not finished, he's coming back. But, however, if he would have uh, got up and just tossed it on the plate, um, the servant would have known that, you know, dinner's over, I need to go remove all the things and make it tidy. Right. And so if you've got your ears on at all, you heard exactly what Jesus was telling um, Peter and these other, and everybody, and you and me today, is that 
this face napkin folded by in its in a place by itself meant or symbolized to them, especially in that day, it was a tradition of their day, not ours, their day, that the master is not finished, hmm. but I'm coming back. And what an amazing, you know, significant message without words, but as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words, a folded napkin is worth a million, because here is our Savior, our Lord, uh, he's, he's Saying not I'm finished. Coming back. He's not leaving us, he's not, he's not finished, he's coming back. Now, the work is finished, right? Yeah. But he's not leaving us by ourselves. He's coming back. And that's the one thing that if I could, you know, hang uh, or drive a stake in the ground of the faith of the people. David, you talked about Haiti earlier. The people of Haiti, it's like they're just waiting for Jesus to come back. Like mm-hmm. More than any, any other thing that comes out of their mouth is, you know, just waiting for our Savior to come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the thing, you know, we're like that too. It's the thing that we're waiting for. Um, it's, it's the, the final within us, yeah. chapter to be, you know, to be closed on this story of, of this, um, you know, time period where we're without, um, you know, this direct, however it's going to be. Uh, but he's coming back. And that's what this <laughs> face napkin, you know, uh, right. is so much, right, in this little tiny yeah, nugget amazing. that he leaves for us. A message like, from the master to the servants. From Amen. the master to the servants. Powerful. And so, yeah, and, and so if I could encourage our, our, your listeners in any, in any way, when you run across these obscure things, you know, we've a gardener, or don't touch me, or a folded face napkin, um, there's oftentimes more than just details that he's trying to disclose. Mm-hmm. It's these nuggets of, you know, this unsearchable riches of God's truth mm-hmm. that he's just throwing out there for us and for the diligent to, to seek and to find and to deepen our faith. Amen. And so uh, I just pray that uh, that's about all I have. I'm, it's the glory uh, of God to conceal a thing. But the yes. honor of kings <laughs> to search out a matter. Amen. Man, thank you for searching it out with us, Mike. That's some powerful stuff to take with us. Yeah, uh, I thought that was that was a perfect message for our our Easter uh, right. retreat, and we haven't had a show since since Easter. So we need one. You know, the resurrection is something worth celebrating. I mean, you know, uh, I had a friend who uh, is on one of these. Um, art groups with me he's an artist and he for easter weekend he drew a picture of a really simple picture of just a tombstone and on the tombstone was the word death Mm. which means so powerful death is dead because of jesus amen and so yeah so much that could be said about resurrection and what happened there that death has no hold on us anymore and uh powerful so anyway, yeah. Let me leave you with one verse. You know, okay. it's these it, these verses. Then you know, if we discuss Jesus as our high priest and actually maybe took some application of what he might have done, these other verses that we that we read a lot or even quote or have tucked away in our heart just become so much richer and deeper. So take a take a simple verse like uh, like uh, Hebrews four and uh, you know fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, and through there. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And then later, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace mm. that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace to help in a time of need. Amen. And it's like all that's made possible because we do have a high priest that did do something to make atonement for our sins. And it's um, this resurrection just has implications um, beyond our the breadth of our con- uh, understanding. understanding. Yeah. But but what we are able to understand is the Savior's love for us. That's right. Wow, it's awesome. All right, Mike, thanks for the study, man. Hang around. We're going to do some news now. If I can get the button to work. And now, and now the, the news. news. <laughs> you know, that's one thing about this 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 tablet I've got now. It's slow. You need to it, go back to your yeah, iPad. Yeah, it's like it, it doesn't recognize that's me right. sometimes. It's like, oh, you wanted, oh, you <laughs> wanted that button push. So in the news, you know, Apple better than PC. <laughs> Anyways, all right, we keep going here. Uh, Russian bans Jehovah's Witnesses as extremists. Um, In a crazy move, uh, it's official Jehovah's Witnesses can no longer practice their faith freely in Russia, where the Supreme Court on Thursday declared the pacifist religious organization as an extremist group and banned all of its activity. Wow. The lawyer of Russia's justice ministry uh, basically ordered that all 300, what is it, they had 30 days to vacate 395 location local chapters mm-hmm. um, in the Russia, Russian headquarters and to close doors. And to stop, uh, under the ruling, dis- uh, distributing copies of the Watchtower, discussing their beliefs in pub- public, even worshiping at a meeting hall uh, is a crime. So my, my question in all that would be, where exactly does Christianity fit in for this? Because I mean, last I heard, Christianity wasn't wasn't allowed to be freely taught either. Is that correct? I mean, I don't know. It's their their biggest problem is evangelism, right? So they don't want uh, for them it's viewed as propaganda. They don't want propaganda to be yeah. thrown around their country. <laughs> so. Um, well, you know, Russia has changed so much over the years. It's hard to know where they're at on certain things. Exactly. Like uh, you know we we've been a big proponent of the insanity of God book. Right. And in that it talks about, you know, uh, how persecuted Russians were, at least at the time of the writing of the book where, you know, if you were gathering, like if you were gathering at all in the name of Christianity, you could stand a chance to be arrested. Right. And so that I don't think is happening anymore. As much, I think it's the, the evangelism part that they're cracking down on. It reminds me of China, what's happening in China. Mm-hmm. So you can have a face or a facade church, and you can come and worship, but you can't evangelize your faith as much. And so their big problem with Jehovah's Witnesses was, well, the, they do a way better job of evangelism than we Christians <laughs> do, which is crazy to me when you think about it. Yeah. How how sad is that that yeah. we you know we have the truth? There's there's a song out there it. by Disciple called Worship Conspiracy. Yeah, and it, it's about exactly what you just said. Yeah. They drive around town saying Jesus is not the Lord, right? But we can't even raise our hands in church. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> oh man. So, another thing in the news, uh, yesterday was National Confederate Day. I don't know if you knew that or not, because we don't really celebrate that, because it's pretty taboo. Y'all do that in Arkansas, though, don't you, Mike? I, You know, people people fly the rebel flag, but I don't, I don't get it. They lost. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> the South will rise again. Man, I lived in South Carolina, and uh, they don't call it the uh, the Civil War there. They call it the it, War of Northern Aggression. Well, sure. But, I mean, we don't wave around the Britain flag or the... That's you know, it doesn't make true. any sense to me. So, you know that there, if you live in the South, you know that there are monuments to the Civil War all over the place. Yeah. And particularly monuments to the Confederacy all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple of states, uh, sorry, one state, let me uh, fix that back. New Orleans has not state New Orleans city, Louisiana <laughs> the state, state of New Orleans the city of Lu- uh, New Orleans has celebrated Confederate Day by dismantling Confederate monuments that's what they do oh wow yeah that's wow. right that's a little extreme it is uh, the uh, the mayor Mitch uh, Landreau or you know he has a French last name of course because mm-hmm. it's New Orleans uh, he tweeted, we promise to move four Confederate statues that do not re- represent div- diversity, and today we begin. So they actually, uh, there were not a lot of happy campers down there, as you can tell. <laughs> In fact, the uh, workers, a lot of them wore masks to uh-huh. hide their identities because they were afraid of repercussions. But they removed four different oh, man. Civil War Well, you know, that's monuments. just a stone's throw from... Uh I got some family over there in Picayune, Mississippi. Picayune. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just we're picking on the rednecks tonight. I don't know what it is. It's probably the Arkansas hey, thing dude, brought it out the, on. The, it's pretty well earned, at uh, least in that area. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I don't know. At least from my experience in that area. If mm-hmm. you're from Picayune, Mississippi, I mean, yeah. yeah. Write us. Let's <laughs> <laughs> let us know how you celebrated Confederate Day. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Um, so for Easter, you know, churches roll out the red carpet because that's their big day. Um, you know, that's when the people who were there at Christmas come back, mm-hmm. and so uh, a lot of churches throw out their signs. You know. And so Relevant came up with a new list this year of best Easter signs. I just got to read a couple to you. This is awesome. YOLO, LOL, JOKE, BRB, Jesus. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) You only live once, LOL, JK, BRB, Jesus. (laughs) In other words. Be right back. Yeah, yeah, Jesus said that. I'm glad you spelled that out for me because I'm a little off on my pop culture. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the way English. Yeah, your your social media is not uh, <clears throat> not all that active. Are you on Facebook? Barely, barely. <laughs> I wish I was barely on I, Facebook. I talked him into getting Facebook when we were in Haiti one time, so that we could share pictures. Right. So he gets this Facebook account, and the next thing you know, he's getting seven hundred friend requests. He's like, "I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any friends." <laughs> He's not lying. I shut it down. (laughs) (laughs) I since came back, and I have several friends, and I'm thankful for all of them if you're listening. Sure. But uh, I mainly use it to speak and uh, and communicate with with Haitians and so forth. That's awesome. Do that sort of thing. All right. So another sign, uh, bring your peeps to church, exclamation point. Uh, Nice. Get it? (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. A stupid one, silly rabbit, rabbit Easter is for Jesus. 
<laughs> My favorite though, Christians, happy Easter, Jews, happy Passover, atheists, good luck. <laughs> Anyways, oh, you could go all day with these church side things. They're my well, favorite. You you have a church sign there from Westboro Baptist? I don't. Oh, too bad. I, I imagine they don't invite a lot of people to their Easter <laughs> services because they're all predestined. God hates Easter. God hates Easter. Yeah. That's like, right. Yeah. With followed by you are going to hell. Yes. <laughs> now leave us alone. Okay. The Canadian military has new rules about how to engage with child soldiers. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but child soldiers on the on the rise, uh, especially with ISIS mm-hmm. um, and everything going on. And can you imagine being a soldier in Iraq and coming up against, or Afghanistan and coming up against? Or Syria, and coming up against a child soldier with an mm. AK-47 that's pointed at you, and he's about to pull the trigger. What would you do? Mm. Would you shoot him? Would you take his life? Yeah, it's I mean, up. it is. It's messed up. And these kids are indoctrinated and taught, for, you know, a lot of them from birth, to hate everybody who's not Muslim, mm-hmm. a Muslim extremist. And so... Well, and it's also a kill-or-be-killed type of thing. Right. So these kids get uh, pulled in, and they get handed a weapon, and it's basically, okay, you kill right. them, or they're going to kill you. Or I'm going to kill you if you don't pull the trigger. Exactly. So Canadian's new rule suggests shooting as a last resort. If possible, Canadian guidelines say try to shoot an adult military leader to demoralize the child soldiers. Suggest going in as heavily armed as possible because child soldiers obviously are often more inclined to tackle lightly armed units, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to go after the heavily armed. Uh, in any case, the rule stress that pulling the trigger is the worst case scenario. Any soldiers who engage with children are required to receive a psychological evaluation upon their return, which is smart. I, I couldn't imagine. <clears throat> yeah, it's totally messed it up. It ruined my life. You know, there's a there's a ministry out there that I got to give props to um, called Project AK-47. Mm. Um, I, we've contributed to them before, but that's their sole, their sole mission is to go reclaim child soldiers. If you can imagine... <laughs> What that wow. mission field is like. It's just unreal to me. And so whenever whenever you sign up, what they do is they send you dog tags with names of actual children that they have that they've rescued from the the uh the front lines. Mm. And I don't know, it's just it's a it's a powerful ministry. I really wow. Really support that. <clears throat> um here's something that just blows me away. Uh this is this is from Egypt. Uh, I know you heard about the two churches that were blown up at Palm Sunday. Yes. Um, and over 40 people lost their lives and 100, 100 and something more injured. Um, so they had their, their funerals um, and they did a mass funeral. And it was televised. There was some moments of silence, people talking. But the wife of one of the guards, he, his name is Nassim Feman. Uh, a guard at St. Mark's Cathedral. Um, he was he was standing there when the bomb went off. He actually, one of the suicide bombers, uh, he had ushered him to go through one of the, uh, through a metal detector, mm-hmm. and the suicide bomber detonated. So he was likely the first one to die after the suicide bomber in the attack. His wife spoke on national television. Oh, my. Wow. And uh, this is what she said. I'm not angry at the one who did this, said his wife, children by her side. I'm telling him, may God forgive you. 
and we also forgive me. We forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. <laughs> you have put my husband in a place I couldn't have dreamed of. Wow. Wow. Then everybody was silent, and the guy saying next year, how great a forgiveness you have. If it were my father, I could never say this. But this is their faith and religious conviction. Mm-hmm. How powerful is that? Oh, it's amazing. For people watching this to see the Christian reaction of love and mm-hmm. forgiveness to somebody who's taken the life of of uh, a husband and a father. Yeah, it's unreal. It is. It's completely unreal. And so I really I love this because this puts everything in perspective. God uses these tragedies to get his message across mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, it reminds me of uh, Nick Saint and and uh, you know the spearing Jim Elliot, Jim Elliot, mm-hmm. and all those, and it's just it's just a powerful picture. Oh, I love that. Anyways, I have some uh, today in church history, and then I'm done. Oh, really? Yeah, hop in our TARDIS. Yeah, Mike, we have a TARDIS. <laughs> That's really loud. Turn yeah. that thing down. No, I'm gonna turn it up. I can't handle it. Oh, by the way, the the Just woke up the neighbors. The, the Doctor Who is uh, has started the the latest season of Doctor Who has started. Who cares? <laughs> Anyways, dude, that's like, <laughs> dude, that's like totally blasphemy. I mean, man. I like some Come of it. On. I like some of it. It just gets boring. <laughs> it's the same thing over and over again. Oh, dude, I uh, can't believe you. I'm sorry. I'm not a big you, fan. You got to actually sit down and watch it. I guess so. I've been told that a million times. I've actually sat down and watched it and got through five episodes and gone, man, give or take. He has a magic screwdriver that saves his life all the time. Congratulations, Mr. Who. You know what I mean? Wow. Anyways, no offense to anybody who's yeah. a Who head. Like, like David Philip. Like our- Philip, Patriot State Philip. <laughs> Sorry, Patriot State Philip. I love you. No, no offense, man. But uh, yeah, I'm not that. I'm not there. Okay. So today in church history, I love the love of a mother. The love of a mother drives a man. Yes. Am I right? Uh, I'll go with that. And the faithful the faithful prayer and fervent petition of a mother can change a man's life, and that man can change the world. And the man I'm talking about was St. Augustine. Okay. Mm. So St. Augustine... I. I hope you've heard of him. He's probably one of the most important figures in church history. Yeah. Um, Was baptized today, April 25th, 387, Easter Sunday. (laughs) Wow. This is what he says, uh, part of his quote, We were baptized and all anxiety of our past life vanished away. (laughs) Isn't that just a beautiful quote? But the reason I say I'm enthralled with the love of a mother is because the reason he became a Christian was because of the prayer and the stick-to-itiveness of his mother. Mm. Ever since he was a child, she prayed for him. When he grew up, he was a jerkhead. Uh, He fathered uh, uh, a a bastard child by the time he was like 20 or something, Mm -hmm. Um, ran off, 
liquored up. You can read all of his stuff on, on the confessions. Brilliant man, grammar teacher, all this stuff, but still just a jerk. He he actually slipped town when his mom wasn't looking because she was praying for him in the church yeah. and started his own life in another town. And he she actually moved to where he was at and <laughs> continued praying for him and everything. And by the time he was 33, he gave in. He relented. And God changed his life and then changed the life of the world because mm-hmm. of it. You know, yeah. uh, made a big impact. Made a huge impact. So today in church history, St. Augustine of Hippo uh, was baptized, raised a new life. Wow. Amen. That's awesome. That's all I got for you, man. All right, man. Well, that's about all we got uh, for this episode. <laughs> so, Mike, man, thanks for com- coming on and, and, and sharing your study with us. Yeah, it was awesome, brother. You're welcome. Glad to do it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, anyway, do you have your script? I got it. Let's do this. All right, let's get on out of here. You might have to listen to this one, Mike. Yeah. Go ahead. The (laughs) Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Secret Secret Fire Fire Podcast. Podcast. Visit our website, theonotspodcast.com, for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us, because that helps us, you know, reach them people down in Arkansas. <laughs> Pick a you, Mississippi. Pick a you, Mississippi. <laughs> there are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, which is 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah. Thanks for being here. Mike, thanks for being here. All right. God bless you guys. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at GCTNetwork.com. You're one of the sorriest church members I have. You're not worth 15 cents. All you got to do is tell me we won't have a church fight because I'll get my little Connie and we'll get in her little Buick Enclave. It's paid for and... We'll sell what we need to sell, and we'll go on down the road, and we'll find some little podunk church that don't know up from down, and I'll find me a dozen Joe's baskets who don't have a pot or a window and who will shout Jesus, and I'll give the rest of my life to them.